Health Matters with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's edition of Health Matters. This evening, I'm joined in the studio by Professor Brian Rayner, Head of the Division of Nephrology and Hypertension at UCT and Hoteskia Hospital. He's also Head of the Hypertension Clinic. Professor Rayner, good evening. Thank you very much for joining me on this miserable day, evening in Cape Town. Good evening, Corin, and good evening to the listeners. Well, if you have any questions for us, you can call us on 0892 10 20 10. And a reminder that if you need any information regarding Health Matters or you miss a contact number, you can find it on Facebook. It's Health Matters on SAFM. There's also a link on the Facebook page if you'd like to download a podcast of the show. If you'd still like to contact me directly, you can email me on healthmatters at safm.co.za. And a reminder of that number again, it's 0892 10 2010. Well, what do you think is Madiba's biggest legacy? The SABC, Telcom and the Nelson Mandela Center of Memory invite you to record a message for Madiba. You can call 0800 333803 that's 0800 and leave your message in less than a minute. Standard rates apply. And SAFM may broadcast some of your messages. Health Matters on SAFM. Right, so this evening we're talking about hypertension or high blood pressure, and um, it's one of those things that we all have heard about, some of us have it, and we just need to know exactly what it is. So, Professor Rayner, just explain, first of all, what exactly is hypertension? Well, hypertension is quite complex, but put simply for, the, for your listeners, it's an elevation of your blood pressure above a certain level, and this has to be consistently elevated. And arbitrarily, we take the top reading when your heart contracts above 140, and when your heart relaxes, the lower reading at 90. So anything consistently above that level is termed hypertension. So between 90 and 140? No, there's, there's two readings that define okay. hypertension. Okay, because normally so you hear about 80 over, 120 over 80. Is that yeah, pretty so standard? 140 over 90 is um, the, the cutoff level. Okay, so, so if it gets higher it, than that. So either of the readings, if they're above the, those levels, is considered hypertension, which is consistent. You know, you can get... The issue is that people during anxiety or visit to the doctor's consulting room, they can get a bit stressed and their blood pressure can go up. So it has to be on several occasions before you can make the diagnosis of hypertension. That's one of those things we call a silent killer because do we know... I mean, if you have high, high blood pressure, do you always know? Are there symptoms? The vast majority of people don't know they have hypertension. In fact, 30% of the adult population of South Africa has hypertension. Gosh, that high. Yeah, and, and rising. It, in 1998, it was 20%. Now it's 30% and escalating. And so it, it only really gives you symptoms when it's very severe. So when you get to levels of 200 over 120, then you start to get very severe symptoms. Such but as? Severe headaches, breathlessness swelling of the legs, blurring of the vision, dizziness and symptoms like that. But we should have caught it before that, hopefully. We should, yeah. And, and, and every doctor and every person should have their blood pressure screened annually. Just once a year if you're not, if, if there haven't more, been a problem before. There haven't been a problem. And it's more common in people who have a family history of high blood pressure and diabetes. And also it's more common in people who have a poor lifestyle, who are overweight or obese um, and lack exercise and so on. So opportunistic screening should happen at every visit to your doctor. If your blood pressure is borderline, then you need to maybe check more regularly. But if it's consistently over 140-90, you definitely have to adopt lifestyle, and you may need to start medication to bring the blood pressure down. Because 
Treating blood pressure prevents many of the deadly complications of hypertension. And one of the most deadly complications is stroke. And that can obviously be completely devastating and leave you paralyzed in a wheelchair and, and without any speech and other, other problems. Also heart failure is an, another major problem, heart attacks. And kidney failure, which is becoming an increasing problem in South Africa related to hypertension. I was going to ask you, because I mentioned at the beginning that you were uh, the head of the division of nephrology and hypertension, and nephrology is to do with the kidneys. Yes, that's correct. The kidney is a very important regulator of blood pressure, but also blood pressure causes incredibly, is incredibly harmful to the kidney. Now, hypertension also sits with cardiologists, endocrinologists, nephrologists, which is kidney specialists. So there are a wide variety of specialists that uh, treat hypertension because it affects the heart, it affects the brain, it affects the endocrine system, it affects the kidney. So that's why we have this sort of diverse speciality. Is this something from what sort of age should people be taking more note about having their blood pressure checked annually? Well, in the past we said from about 30 years old, but now given that our lifestyle has changed so dramatically and we're getting so much more childhood obesity, I think even children should start having their blood pressure measured. Um, and, and definitely young adults should have their blood pressure measured. Increasingly now, our profile of patients referred to our clinic is changing, and the age of referrals now decreasing quite dramatically, and it's not uncommon for us to see referrals in 20, people from 20 years of age and onwards. In the past, we said a young hypertensive was less than 40. Now we say young hypertensive is less than 30. Wow, okay. So it's, 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 it's and, and, and the seeds of hypertension can be seen quite early. So if your blood pressure is sort of borderline when you're 25, it's likely you're going to be hypertensive in time. And that's why if you have a borderline level, you must be checked more regularly. There are also other situations, for example, during pregnancy, your blood pressure could rise. Is that something that people should be concerned about? Every woman who's had hypertension pregnancy should have their blood pressure checked after their pregnancy and followed up because those women are at higher risk of developing hypertension when they're older consistently and also have a higher risk of developing kidney problems. So hypertension pregnancy, like hypertension and diabetes in pregnancy, is an important signal for women that there may be future problems in, in later life. And we were talking there about, um, earlier you mentioned about hereditary. How, how is that? Is it genetic? What is the story if you, if you have a parent or a grandparent that has high blood pressure? Are you more then susceptible to getting that as well? Yeah, I mean, it, it's thought that the genetic component contributes to 40% of causes of hypertension and 60% is, is, is lifestyle. And the lifestyle issues are excess salt intake, too much alcohol, lack of exercise, too much fatty foods, uh, smoking uh, and being overweight or obese. Those are the lifestyle things that, that contribute to hypertension, but there is definitely an underlying genetic trend. If you don't have um, a family history of hypertension, it doesn't mean you won't get it because you can see how common it is, 30% of adult population. So if you do have it in the family, you just be, have to be more vigilant for yourself. Absolutely. You would be one somebody you, you would screen earlier for for blood pressure. Now we've been talking all along about hypertension. Can we mention hypotension as well? Yeah, I mean this is in a way a misnomer because in largely if, if your blood pressure is, is low it, it reflects actually a good cardiovascular system and you have a good prognosis. There are very rare causes of hypotension that may cause symptomatic disease but most people labeled as low blood pressure are actually completely normal.
Oh, really? Because yeah, I think we watch too much, uh, you know, from Hollywood, where people are sort of hype. They, my blood pressure is dropping, and they start doing the whole fainting thing. Is that common? I mean, is it high, if it's hype, you say now if your blood pressure is low, which is hypotension, um, you're probably just healthy. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, but there is a limit, I'm sure, before it gets too low and dangerously no, no, low. No, absolutely, there is a limit, and and certainly that's the case. But you know, the lot of, particularly in, in in young women, there are a lot of young women who learn blood pressures 90, 60. And, and they may feel a bit dizzy and, and flushed on, on a very hot and warm day when they're a little bit dehydrated. But otherwise, there's nothing really to worry about. Not too bad then. Okay. Right, let's talk about medication. Well, before we do that, let's just remind people, we're talking about hypertension, high blood pressure this evening. It's Health Matters on SAFM. I'm Karen Key. And my guest this evening is Professor Brian Rayner, Head of the Division of Nephrology and Hypertension at UCT and Kruterskia Hospital. And he's also Head of the Hypertension Clinic. If you have any questions, you can call us on 0892 10 2010. 0892 Let's talk about medication. We talked about lifestyle and possibly people listening to this will think, well, I'll just do all those things that the professor said. I will decrease my intake of salt and I'll do more exercise and I'll eat right. Is that going to help on its own? Um, in the early phases, yes. If you've got mild elevations in blood pressure, so if your blood pressure is just over 140 of 90 and, and you don't have any signs of damage from hypertension that the doctor can detect, then lifestyle may be perfectly sufficient to, to change it. Unfortunately, the vast majority of people do not adhere to lifestyle long-term. They kind of revert back to the old habits. So if, if the blood pressure doesn't settle, um, the most people end up taking medication for the hypertension. If your blood pressure is more serious, you have to take a medication more th immediately and also institute lifestyle changes. So you mustn't forget the lifestyle, but... So both it should be done in it conjunction. Should, it should be done in conjunction because if you're a smoker, for instance, if you have hypertension and smoking, your risk of having a stroke or heart attack is double than if you're a non-smoker. So it's giving up smoking is a really important thing to do. Losing weight is very, very helpful and, and trying to exercise more regularly will help your blood pressure. But it won't, if you have serious hypertension, that would be insufficient to control your blood pressure. And medication, uh, there must be quite a lot of it on the market. Um, how do you go about making quite sure you've got the right one? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's based on your doctor. There's certainly guidelines. We've put out for the Hypertension Society of South Africa, put out guidelines on treatment. And the, the three main frontline drugs that you use is, is what we call diuretics, that's, that increase salt excretion by your kidney, calcium channel blockers that vasodilate your vessels and lower the resistance to your, your, your heart, and then the drugs we call ACE inhibitors or angiotensin receptor blockers that uh, block the renin-angiotensin system and, and lower blood pressure. So those three drugs are the main frontline drugs. But there may be specific situations that other drugs are used and your doctor will be equipped to de decide on what's best for you. I was actually telling you a story before we went on air about a woman I bumped into in a queue at, the, at a chemist who was coughing terribly. She had this tickle in her throat and I said to her, do you have high blood pressure? And she was a little bit confused as to how I knew that when I didn't even know her. And I said, because I had heard that you can actually get a tickle in your throat from certain blood pressure medication. So she sort of said, oh gosh, and looked quite astounded. And I said, well, maybe you should just check with your doctor. And that's one of the things, you know, if something isn't working for you, possibly... Yeah, discuss that yeah, with your doctor. Yeah, generally, the, the modern treat of hypertension, you should be able to be free of side effects. But yes, some medication will cause side effects. The one you're describing mm. is the ACE inhibitor that gives uh, this tickling cough in about 20% of people. 
but you can switch to another medication. And usually, in the vast majority of people, we can achieve blood pressure control without side effects uh, from the medication. And what we're doing now is rather than using one drug in high doses, we're using two or three drugs in lower doses, so we have the synergistic effect of two or more medication. So if somebody's on a, a blood pressure medication and it's not bringing down their blood pressure and keeping it stable, what should they do? I mean, what should be happening at that point? Well, they may need to escalate the medication and use a combination. More and more we're seeing um, two or more drugs in, in a single pill, so it makes it easier for the patient. The other thing one has to do is, is because of this issue of what we call white coating, when you go to the doctor, your blood pressure becomes elevated. Yes. So it, it, it confuses the issue. So what patients should be doing, like the diabetics who monitor their sugar at home, should purchase a home blood pressure monitor and measure their blood pressure early in the morning, late in the evening. Do this several times and average the readings and see if their blood pressure is, is un consistently under control. Or there are newer devices, what we call 24-hour blood pressure monitoring devices, where you wear it for the whole day and you get you know, 50 or 60 readings of the blood pressure. And these are very accurate at telling whether you have hypertension or whether your hypertension is controlled. The other thing as well, though, if people who are blood donors, they get their blood pressure taken every time they go and donate blood. So it's another good incentive to go and donate blood. I think it's once every 50 days, 55 days or something that you go and they always take your blood pressure. No, absolutely. So. And that's a good way to be screened. Pharmacies run sort of blood mm. pressure screening programs. Your doctors are all equipped to measure blood pressure. So there are many people who can take your blood pressure. The one thing also you mentioned to me before we went on air was was the fact that patients need to start taking responsibility as well for their health. We can't just rely solely on the doctors all the time. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And I think uh, you, what I think people need to know their numbers. I yes. don't accept the term uh, blood pressure is fine. Yeah, the Heart and Stroke Foundation push this every year, know your numbers. You've got to know your numbers. You know what to know it, and you've got to see whether you, your blood pressure is controlled if it's below 140-90 consistently. Or in certain circumstances, maybe even lower. If you're a high-risk patient, maybe even lower at 130-80. And the same as your diabetic. You need to know your sugar levels. HbO1c. If you've got cholesterol problems, you need to also know your cholesterol levels. But talking about that, it's also to remember that a lot of people with hypertension are predisposed to diabetes, and many diabetics have hypertension, and many hypertensive patients have cholesterol problems. So often you have to end up taking a cocktail of medication to control your blood pressure and your cholesterol, because these factors work synergistically to increase your risk of stroke and heart attack and kidney problems. I think this is where people start panicking a little bit, thinking, gosh, I'm swallowing all these tablets. What about the side effects? What's going to happen to me if I take too many pills? And then, you know, it's, it's a whole that non-compliance thing that we deal with a lot. And people think, oh, well, I just won't take this one. I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is a real issue. I mean, let's not underestimate that medication has side effects. But I think if you've got a good relationship with your doctor, and speak to them and, and identify which component is causing your side effect. Often a simple adjustment of medication can lead to a very happy patient with good blood pressure control. So a communication is good. It's not good to if you take a medication and you get a side effect. You don't say anything. You don't say anything and you, you don't go back to the doctor and say, oh, no, I'm, I've had enough of this. And often what we do now is we give drugs, in, in, like antiretrovirals, we give three drugs in combination or two drugs in combination so that, and then lower dose. And, and, and this actually leads to reduction in side effects and better blood pressure control.
Okay, so instead of taking one pill, you'd probably take two, but they're lower dose than the one was on its own, and the side effects then possibly are minimized as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so there is always something you can do. If you're unhappy with the medication or the side effect, possibly that you've, you've suddenly experienced that, don't sit there and do nothing. Go and speak to your doctor. That's what he's there for. Absolutely. So this is very important. I mean, you know, one mustn't adopt a head and sand and approach to this because hypertension will catch up with you eventually. It may not be in five years, but definitely in 10 years. Because the damage to your, your heart and brain and kidneys happens very silently and very progressively. And then one day you find that you're in kidney failure. We don't want to go there. No, absolutely. <laughs> no, and then end up on dialysis. You don't yeah. want to do that. And the other question people often ask is, do I have to take these for the rest of my life? The vast majority of people, yes. It's not a, we can't cure hypertension. We, we can only treat, treat hypertension with medication. So, and and once, sometimes people do stop their medication and everything's okay for three or four months but gradually their blood pressure creeps up and, and, and they forget about it and then they arrive a year later with a stroke or heart failure and complications. So be very careful when you stop your medication. Is there anything that people shouldn't do if they have hypertension? Is there anything that they should either possibly stay away from or avoid or anything like that at all? I think most people with hypertension should live an active life. I mean, personally I have hypertension, I play golf, I exercise, I do, I do everything. And so the only thing you must avoid smoke is smoking, completely forbidden for, for, for people with hypertension. Uh, and also, if you've got severe hypertension, you need to have your blood pressure controlled before you do exercise programs and so on. So you may have to see a cardiologist to have a, a stress test or examination just to check that you don't have, already have heart disease. Are there any medications that you should avoid or be aware of if you're taking... Um, yes, I mean, any stimulant. I mean, one of the big problems that's developing in Cape Town particularly is the tick epidemic. Oh, gosh, yes. And tick is, can cause very catastrophic rise in blood pressure. And we see young people coming in with strokes and kidney failure and heart failure from tick related to the severe surge in blood pressure. Um, obviously, uh, a lot of the pain pills called anti-inflammatories, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, are quite a problem in hypertension. You take them for your arthritis, and uh, it stops the blood pressure medication working and can also contribute to kidney damage. So any nasal sprays that have these uh, the vasoconstrictors or stimulants in them are also, also a problem. So there are a whole list of things that you should be wary of if you have hypertension. You mentioned stimulants. You're talking about things like coffee and those energy drinks. Those are all stimulants, but that also... No, energy drinks, high caffeine. In fact, drinking coffee is probably quite safe in reasonable quantities. So you don't have to you know, become a completely absent from all the nice things in life. You can take one to two drinks a day of alcohol, preferably a good red wine. Yeah, and especially in this weather, and, yes. Yes, and, and but but... Unfortunately, excess alcohol is actually a big problem and causes quite striking rises in blood pressure if you, if you abuse alcohol. So it would be going back almost to the very beginning where we were talking about a healthy lifestyle and um, not, not overdoing. It's all in moderation, I would imagine. No, absolutely. Moderation is, is a very good thing. So you know, this, basically what we're saying here is there is something that you can do to help yourself. Yeah. But one of the big things is that you need to take your own self off to go and get your own self checked. Don't, no one's going to check it if you're not going yeah. to have it checked. And there's also know. issues at the government level. I mean, our Minister of Health is now instituting programs to reduce sodium contact in our diet. 
Yes, it, that's, he's been very strong about that, which because is a good thing. Because, yeah, it's very good because unfortunately your, most of your salt intake comes in forms, is almost involuntary in forms of bread and processed foods. Mm. So only about 30 to 40% of your salt intake is voluntary what you add to your food. So it's very difficult for people to reduce their salt intake. So he has a program to slowly reduce salt contents of bread and other processed foods. So we, and, and just small changes in a population level can have dramatic effects. I was talking to somebody about, I think it was World Salt Day or Anti-Salt Day or something a while ago, and they were talking about the fact that the salt is worse for you if you add it after it's cooked. If you are, after you've cooked the food, it's not quite so bad if you put a little bit of salt in the food when you're cooking it, as long as you don't add some extra salt after you've cooked the food. Mm. And I know I've seen people, go, I mean, I've actually sat there watching people get given a plate of food and they haven't tasted it yet, and they're pouring the salt all over it. Mm. And you think, well, taste it first. You know, people, I think it's almost like a reflex, it's a habit. Yeah, Let's just add salt. I mean, know? yeah, absolutely. Salt intake is, I mean, look, salt makes food taste better. You know, even mm. poor quality food, and and you can make really poor quality food reasonably tasteful taste with <laughs> adding salt, and and particularly you know low quality foods, processed foods often uh, in, have a lot of salt. And another place where people don't realize is how much salt you can get on a salad at a restaurant. Oh, a salad? Yeah, some some restaurants put a lot of salt on their, their salads, and 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 you can get a lot of salt in, in that way. Okay, so we've just got to be very, very careful now. You're listening to Health Matters on SAFM. I'm Karen Key, and this evening we're focusing on hypertension with Professor Brian Rayner, head of the Division of Nephrology and Hypertension at UCT and Hurtiskia Hospital, and he's also head of the Hypertension Clinic. If you have any questions, you can call us on 0892 10 2010, 0892 10 2010. Evolt in good evening. Hello, good evening. May I ask a quick question about hypertension or the possible hypertension? Yes, absolutely, Evolt, go ahead. At the norm, this is my, my normal battery is about 106 over 60, which I guess is low, or normal low, and I'm smoking. Evolt, uh, how do you feel? No, usually I feel fine, but I'm, I'm, I'm not living a, like a relaxed, calm life. But what happens was, especially in summertime, then sometimes I feel a bit, I feel, uh, get tired quite quickly. And whenever I try to stop smoking, it gets worse. Then I feel like a zombie. So I'm not, I'm, I was phoning to try and find is there a way do i just sleep it out when i go there or do i eat more salt or some marmite or what do i do yeah this is this is a difficult question you definitely need to give up smoke he's sort of saying it makes him worse when he stops which isn't don't yeah well that's not you're not a good recommendation at all i I think what you need to do (laughs) evolt you need to be examined by your doctor and and make sure that your physical examination is normal and people with a, a low a blood pressure of that level, which is normal, let's, let's say that is a normal blood pressure. Yes. That you're allowed to take a little bit more salt. If okay. Your blood, if your blood pressure is totally normal. But we're talking about salt restriction mainly for people with hypertension. No, I understand that, yes. Uh, so but smoking is extremely bad for your health, whatever your blood no, pressure is. No, I understand that. No, I understand. <laughs> so, so, but is, is this blood pressure still in the normal range? Yes, it's in the normal range. I think what you need to be physically checked, your doctor needs to maybe do your blood pressure uh, sitting, lying, and standing, because there are some conditions that are, are that need medical attention that are associated with with low blood pressure, and 
and and that your doctor needs to 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 assess you and find out if you're suffering from any of those conditions. So would that happen if I like want to faint or something? Or how would I know as a patient the possible symptoms of that apart from feeling a bit drowsy now and then, or just feeling a bit? No, if, if your blood pressure too low, you will faint. You will I will faint. Yeah, okay. because your blood, your brain won't get enough blood, and you will faint. Okay, then I will know for sure. You, you haven't. That hasn't happened yet, to you, Eva. No, that hasn't happened yet. No, yeah. it's just sometimes, especially in summertime, that I just feel to, uh, feel very like like. Tired. Uh, absolutely, people run those sort of blood pressures uh, in the summertime when your your circulation is dilated. You may feel a bit faint, but really, that, I mean, generally having blood pressures low that level are good for your cardiovascular system. Okay, he said to me, I won't die of that. Mm, no, but from the smoking. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, okay thanks, Evel. Bye bye now. Good night. Yeah, no, as he said, he he actually thought it was too low. One one over four over sixty, he said. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, you know, if you look at true hunter gatherer societies where mm. we, you know, had this sort of kind of lifestyle where there's minimal salt, no one was overweight. I mean, the blood pressures are below a hundred systolic, the, the high hundred sixty of that level, in the sort of Khoisan and those sort of people living right away from civilization. A bit worrying that he says he feels worse when he stops smoking. You know, it's like giving people idea. Well, you know, maybe you should, you know, keep smoking. But you no, don't do that. Not a good idea. I think maybe he should gradually stop smoking, and and, mm. and the problem should resolve. But he does need to see his doctor. We spoke earlier as well about how much younger people are getting who are suffering from high blood pressure. Is this something ever that children would suffer from? There are certain specific causes that can cause severe hypertension in children. So if a child has underlying kidney problems or was born with a narrowing of the arteries to the kidney or may have some hormonal problems like a rare condition like called pheochromocytoma, they can have very severe hypertension. But when we generally talk about hypertension, we talk about the average person, which is a combination of lifestyle matters and your underlying genetics. But yes, it can happen. It can happen when you're two years old. Gosh, so it's, you know, I always worry about things like this, especially because people think, oh, well, it can't really happen to a child, and they tend to ignore it. Yeah. Now, increasingly, the recommendation is to measure blood pressure in children. But again, you've got to get the right size cuffs. For yes, I was wondering about that because they are quite big. Yeah, I mean, that's important, the, me the, mm. the technique of blood pressure measurement. Unfortunately, there are a lot of problems related to that. So if, you, if you're overweight, you need a big cuff. If, if you're a child, you need a much smaller cuff, and one needs a range of cuffs. They're not often generally available. Because using the incorrect cuff make, will make, can make considerable error in the, the level of blood pressure and, and get erroneous results. So I mentioned that you head of the hypertension clinic, as that's a DCT and Curtis scale. What, what sort of work do you do there? Well, our clinic is a, a specialized clinic which deals mainly with people with very severe hypertension. So people who are on more than five or six medications. Wow, okay. And their blood pressure is still dramatically elevated. So we, uh, our main focus is to try and work out why that happens and how we can assist these patients and, and get their blood pressure in control. I mean, we have a good success rate. Um, the other thing we're very involved in to, is research into causes of underlying hypertension in, in South Africa. And that's one of my research interests. What, so what are some of the causes, underlying causes? Well, we've been looking at um, certain conditions, like certain endocrine conditions, like excess, what we call primary aldosteronism, which is a lot more common than was previously thought, and we've had a lot of success with different types of medication. What is that condition? Well, it's an excess of your adrenal gland, which is the gland that sits above the kidney. It produces too much aldosterone, which is a hormone that makes your kidney retain excessive salt, and that raises your blood pressure. Okay. 
So we find that a common, and we've also found um, genetic changes in the kidney that result in excess salt retention by the kidney, and we've adopted policies of using more specialized medication to, to uh, promote salt excretion. So that's our sort of research interest in hypertension in South Africa. And also developing strategies. One of the issues in high blood pressures is the patient taking the medication. Well, that non-compliance thing, I know yeah. we, we talk about it a lot on the show, especially when it comes to things like TB, for example, where exactly. people take it for a while and they get bored and they stop taking Absol- it. Yeah. Absol- absolutely. So we're developing assays to actually measure the drug levels in your system. And oh, we so think you can't that, get away with it now. Yeah, and we think that would be a very useful way of help assisting doctors in, in, um, uh, in um, uh, understanding why blood pressure may be elevated and not coming under control. Yes, doctor, I took my tablet every day this past month, and you can test it now and see, well, actually, maybe you didn't. Yeah, absolutely. And people get forget about the tablets. Mm-hmm. You know, they go away for a weekend and they forget the tablets, or they go overseas and they forget them at home, and you know, all sorts of reasons. They're rushing in the morning. So it's, it's sometimes difficult to take medication. I mean, the figures are that about a third of patients at three months are not taking their medication. God, that's soon. That seems quite soon, though. Three to, to six months. Three to six months. I mean, that's quite soon to suddenly just stop taking it. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's the reality because, I mean, I think it's also related perhaps to side effects and people not understanding they, they feel healthy. That's, that's the problem, though, you see. Yeah, the way mm. convincing people. And, and people, you know, don't like to consider themselves as having hypertension. And, 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 I, and they say it's not, a, and a lot of people say hypertension is a psychological disease. It's got nothing to do with your, I've never heard anyone say that before. Yeah, a lot of people see it when we sometimes advertise for clinical trials. We get people phoning in about anxiety issues and so on. But so it is a vascular disorder. It's a cardiovascular disorder. It is, as you mentioned earlier as well, though, it, it can be elevated by things like anxiety and stress. And, yeah. But that's just an interim thing. It's not... Yeah, it's transient. I mean, mm. stress may play a small role, but, I mean, there are much more important factors that are contributing hypertension. So rather go and get it checked out. Absolutely. No, don't leave it once. And did you say only once a year? Is that enough, though? Um, yeah, I mean, if you go for an annual checkup once a year to your general practitioner. It's um, not likely to suddenly jump up in the middle of the year and, and make very, you really ill. Very unusual. I mean, if you were to develop an acute kidney problem, you could develop hypertension suddenly, mm. yes. But, but, you know, that's uh, for the average person. If your blood pressure is normal last year, you need a check, you know, in one, one year. But if it's slightly abnormal, maybe six months. You know, so it depends on the situation. So there again, it's the taking responsibility for our own health. No, definitely. Making sure that you know if your blood pressure is slightly up the last time you went, don't leave it a whole year. Go back six months later. Yeah, and and also then adopt uh, changes in lifestyle. As you say, that could help initially in the beginning. Yes, absolutely. And prevent hypertension. Mm. I mean, if if, if we can do something about our epidemic of childhood obesity, which is driving uh, this very big problem in South Africa and the world. It's not just South Africa. I mean, in Germany now, the prevalence of hypertension is, is 50%. That's incredible. Yeah. So it's Are more men than women affected? Is it, is it, it's equal. It's, it's, equal. Vir- it's virtually equal. There may be subtle changes earlier on and later on, but and the older you get, the more chance you're getting it. So by the time you're 60, 70, you've got a 90% chance of getting it. So it's, you know, it's basically also aging as your, mm. as your arteries stiffen up as you get older. So getting older is not for sissies. I keep telling people that. 
absolutely not. No, but the other thing as well, I mean, we live longer now, so we're likely to be getting more and more of these conditions that possibly back in the day, not that many people were getting because people weren't living as long as they yeah, are now. And also we're now seeing the, the collision of these two epidemics. One's the HIV epidemic and now the epidemic of cardiovascular disease because people now are being put on antiretrovirals and the antiretrovirals may influence the blood pressure. In what, elevate it? it may elevate the blood oh, pressure. Oh, really? So, I didn't know that. Was so that a side effect of the antiretrovirals? Yeah, we, th- there's some work suggesting that some of the antiretrovirals may slightly raise the blood pressure. And if that happens, then a lot of weight gain, because people often, when they have um, advanced HIV and they put on ALVs, they gain a lot of weight. And then now they develop hypertension and diabetes. And we, in our clinic, we've seen more and more patients with, who are HIV positive attending our clinic for, for hypertension management. It's almost like a vicious cycle then. Yes, it, it, in a way it is. So you're treating one thing and you're just causing something else. And yeah, it's but, just but it's doing good. Mm. People with HIV are now surviving, leading yes. productive lives and so on. So it's, it's a good thing. Yes, well, yes, it is. Well, yes, okay. <laughs> I can't quite decide how, where that was the good thing was. But yes, okay, the fact they're living longer is a good thing. Yes. Not the fact they've got the HIV to start no, with. No, That's no, not no, the good sorry, thing. Sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> I got, got myself confused there for a moment. Yeah. We also mentioned the Hypertension Society. Um, is that for just for doctors? Because there's some patient information. If people wanting more information, if they'd like to read more about hypertension, some of the causes and well, all that sort of thing. The, soci- the society is mainly for um, for professionals. Um, and many people involved in hypertension, not just doctors, epidemiologists, pharmacists, nurse practitioners. Because increasingly to deal with the epidemic, we need more and more nurse practitioners actually can start managing high blood pressure as well, particularly in the state hospitals. We just don't have the resources to to treat everyone and everyone to see a doctor. And certainly um, we promote information to um, to to patients and, and the general public, but it's not it's not a patient orientated organization. Things like the Stroke Foundation or the Stroke and Heart, the heart and the Stroke are, Foundation yes, are, the, yeah. are mainly for, for societies, for, for patients and, and people suffering from these illnesses. How much awareness or education is there still needed to be done on this issue? Well, the figures are would say that 50% of people in the population who have hypertension are not aware of it. And 50% of those who are aware of it don't take any cognizance of it. And 50% of people who go to their doctors, only 50% have their blood pressure control. So only 10% of the South African population have their blood pressure control. And this is a highly preventable problem. It's cost-effective treatment. And it's manageable. And it's manageable. The medication now is largely all generic. So the costs of managed hypertension have plunged dramatically with all this, uh, the many generic drugs, effective drugs on the South African market. So, I mean, in the state hospitals, the drugs are down often below 10 rand a month wow. for, for managing hypertension. So there's no excuse, basically. Yeah, I think the state is, is, has capacity problems is, is to handle yes. all, the, all mm. these issues. And, then, then, and that's where the NHR would, would promote a lot of interaction between the private sector and the state sector to, to manage more people. You mentioned something to me also very much before we came on air was something called Dr. Inertia. What is that? Well, yeah, that's that's the issue. <laughs> I feel I've not brought that up. Okay. Yeah, no, no, it is an issue. It it, it happens in, in many chronic conditions like diabetes, hypertension, and cholesterol. So 
what happens, you diagnose with hypertension, you start on a medication, and you come back three months later, and your blood pressure is not quite controlled. And the doctor says, well, it's okay, maybe we should wait a bit longer. And then another six months goes by, and, and still the blood pressure is not controlled, and then it, then it becomes entrenched that, that the, there's no escalation. In fact, there's a lot of work showing that starting... Um, much more aggressively and escalating drugs or starting even two drugs for more severe hypertension actually has benefits within six months. You can show morbidity and mortality benefits on the treatment. So we need to get doctors to realize we need to bring blood pressure under control more rapidly. There are also issues with certainly from the medical funders. They only allow patients to see the doctor every six months. They get a paid appointment every six months, and you clearly need much more professional contact regarding education. So I find the more contacts you have initially in the beginning, uh, you're able to understand what the patient's thinking, are they having side effects, what's happening to their blood pressure, and, and you can get control much more easily, and there's, and there's much more confidence in what's happening. Because often, so often what happens, they put on medication, seen six months later, and and the patient doesn't really understand why they're taking treatment and what the consequences of it. And with something like really high blood pressure, um, six months is possibly too long to wait to adjust the medication, I would have thought. Absolutely, absolutely. You need to see after starting medication in, in, in most patients, see them in four weeks. And the more severe patients, maybe in three days, mm. maybe in two weeks. I mean, if your blood pressure is above 180, 110, you need to see your doctor regularly to let blood pressure put under control. So, yet again, it's the taking responsibility, because I'm sure at that point, when your blood pressure is that high, you're not going to be feeling so good. You can still, surprisingly, even at those oh, really? levels, you can still feel relatively asymptomatic. And things creep up on you, so you get kind of used to it, and your body adapts to it. But there comes a point where you can get what's called malignant hypertension, where you rapidly go into kidney failure and develop stroke and heart failure. So that can happen. That's very common in our black population. I mean, there's a big issue... Of, of hypertension in our black population where there's excessive risk from, from blood pressure and the consequence of blood pressure. And that's shown in the United States in the black population there. Why is that? We're not sure. We're not sure, but there's certainly... Uh, is it some sort of a genetic issue? or It may be, but nobody's ever really understood it. But it's, it's, it's a phenomenon that's present in the United States. So if you run a, a blood pressure of, say, 150, 100 in in a black person will have more strokes and more heart attacks than a comparable blood white patient running that same blood pressure. Oh, so their risk is higher, even at a lower blood pressure? Yeah. And some, oh my goodness. Okay. certainly the International Society of Hypertension Blacks is sort of contemplating we maybe should have a lower threshold for black patients and it should be a bit lower than 140-90. But that's, that at the moment is still speculative. But there is definitely some uh, issues with related, particularly for this explosive form of hypertension. And unfortunately, the consequence of that is, is very severe for patients. Because as you say, you, could, you would feel absolutely fine and yet you could end up having a stroke. Yep. And that may be your first manifestation of hypertension. So you might not know until that happens. Exactly. And, you and that may be fatal. Well, I was about to say you might not even survive that. Cause, yeah, you know. I mean, particularly if you have a, uh, the two types of stroke you have hypertension. One is where the blood vessel bursts and you have a hemorrhage, and that's often fatal. Or you may have a thrombosis that um, blocks the artery and causes a stroke. 
So that, those, yeah, those are very serious consequences. But increasingly, we also recognize that if you have long-standing hypertension, you develop small vessel disease in your brain, and you may actually start getting uh, memory problems and dementia from from hypertension. Oh, Mark, we actually did a phone-in show a couple of weeks ago on dementia and Alzheimer's, and we, that wasn't one of the things that didn't come up. So there interesting. Is, there is work, and it's not proven work, that maybe treating blood pressure earlier um, is, 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 it prevents, well, well not prevent, but it may reduce the, uh, the prevalence of Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. So there is, there is definitely something going on there. We don't quite understand it. So all of you listening, if you can't remember where you put your car keys, don't start panicking that you've got <laughs> having slight blood, sort of explosions in your brain that you due to high blood pressure. But it, maybe it's a good thing to go and have it checked anyway. But, but gosh, that's that's actually very interesting. So that actually actually be caused by untreated um, hypertension. Absolutely. Gosh, a lot of work. Is that something relatively new that's that's come up? Or yeah, it's been you know it's it's been around for a while now for the past five ten years. There's certainly work suggesting a link between cardiovascular risk factors and Alzheimer's. You know, particularly in your fifties and sixties. And what actually happens is often as you develop Alzheimer's, your blood pressure just kind of trends back to normal. So that link has was difficult to understand. In the, so in once the Alzheimer's becomes noticeable, more, more advanced. then your, your blood pressure goes back down to normal. Yeah. Why would that be? That sounds a bit no odd. Idea. I have no idea. But that's, that's the kind of... So strange. it rises to actually make you get the Alzheimer's. Yeah, so you have sustained blood pressure, and as you develop Alzheimer's and become demented, you, well, it, probably the physiology of your brain changes and the cardiac reflexes changes and your blood pressure tends downwards. Gosh, okay, where do we fit in the world when it comes to figures, people with hypertension? Are we sort of up there with the worst? No, we're not up with the worst. I mean, uh, certainly in, in South Africa it's 30%. But if we don't do something, because remember our population is younger. Yes. So we've got a younger population. So we've really not seen the, 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 the peak of our kind of statistics. And we're we starting could, to because you said they're getting younger and younger. No, I mean there was a report from the World Health Organization recently that I saw that they put people with high blood pressure at, at 40% in South Africa. So there's definitely an upward trend and we have to do something about this at a, at a, at a population level as well. So what the Minister of Health is doing is really... With his salt, yes. ...is very important mm. and, and other factors, trying to get exercise and, and physical education back into schools and trying to change the, the habits of eating habits in, in the schools. I've never quite figured out why they stopped doing physical PT, as it was back in my day, at school, only after I left. You know, playing netball and all this. <laughs> oh God, whatever we had to do every day. But it was good. It was good for us to do all that physical activity. They don't do that at all anymore. No, no. A lot of schools are not doing it. And, and that's really important for, mm. for, for children to, to exercise and, and burn up calories and and keep the weight down, but also exercise in itself has a really good effects on your cardiovascular system. Yeah, also I've noticed in the last year or two that, that there's been a, quite a move at schools to make their tuck shops healthier. Um, there was an, a very good program that was right competition and a school here in Cape Town actually won it to having the healthiest um, tuck shop. And they were also growing a lot of the vegetable, the salad things, they were making salads for the kids and it was a really healthy tuck shop. Not sure how well the kids enjoyed it, but I think they got used to it after a while and seemed to be enjoying it. But that's also a good thing because these tuck shops are also what is causing a lot of the problems with these kids. No, absolutely. I mean, yeah, we, I mean, we, you know, 
People enjoy eating food, let's face it. <laughs> well, yeah, and especially the nice food. So is the bad food, you know. <laughs> so it, it is a problem. And, and young ch- children don't appreciate the problems. I think the parents have to also reinforce those, those behaviors and not allow them to, to really get into the junk food uh, on, on a regular basis. Well, let's speak to Claire and George. Claire, good evening. Good evening uh, to you and to the doctor. Um, I just wanted to mention that my sister, who is rather overweight, uh, was put on to um, blood pressure medication because of uh, hypertension, and she uh, addressed her uh, diet, um, started eating more healthily, and she actually managed to uh, reverse it. They experimentally took her off the blood pressure medication and she's now fine. Uh, I also heard that in an experiment where people were um, uh, uh, made to eat only raw uh, vegetables and fruit uh, that did have hypertension that uh, within a, um, I think it was a fortnight if I remember correctly, that uh, they had um, uh, uh, completely normalized their blood pressure. And uh, I find that quite interesting. No, what your sister did in losing weight is, is, is really important. So if you're overweight and you can get your weight down 10, 15 kilograms, your blood pressure may well normalize. It's, it's said that for every kilogram, your blood pressure will come down one millimeter. So if you lose 20, you can get your, your top blood pressure, the systolic blood pressure, down 20. And, and that's very useful. I mean, these sort of diets, you know, that completely vegans-type diets and so on, certainly were very popular when um, there was no treatment for hypertension. But I think that the problem is their sustainability, that, um, yes, if we all ate that, we would certainly, because one of the issues is you've got very low salt content in that diet because there's no processed food. So your sodium intake is very low. And the other thing that's beneficial is you've got a high potassium intake which is also beneficial for your blood pressure. I see. And I would imagine um, anything like that, that, if you decide you want to do that, it has to be, under, I would imagine, under doctor supervision. Yeah, Don't try and do it by yourself. Absolutely. A, a, a big radical change in diet like that, you, you need to, to be under supervision of, of a doctor. And also with Claire's sister, who go, you know, coming off, I'm, I'm assuming, Claire, that that was done with, under the doctor's supervision. Mm. Yes, well, she simply uh, went to eating more healthily, more vegetables and so on. Now, I'm talking about coming off the medication. I'm sure she didn't decide that that by herself. No, that was under doctor's supervision, definitely. I just don't want people out there thinking, oh, well, I'll start eating more fruit and vegetables tomorrow and then I'll just stop my medication. Please don't ever do that. (laughs) No, no, no. I I was just taking issue with the fact that um, uh, there was the statement made that it couldn't be reversed, that you're on uh, the medications for the rest of your life. And uh, uh, definitely my sister was determined not to be that way. Yeah, I, look, I, I do stay by that, uh, that statement because the vast majority of people do not reverse their lifestyle by that. And, and I did say that, um, that if you can do that and under supervision, but there must be long-term monitoring because I would also like to see in your sister's case what the actual blood pressure readings are. And, you know, are they actually come right down to normality? 
and so on. So I think one has to be cautious when you And are they staying there, basically? And they're staying there. And, and will this diet be sustainable in the next six months or the next 12 months? And that, those are the issues. I'm not saying you can never come off medication, but I've seen too many tragedies from people coming off medication uh, and resulting in very serious complications. How long has your sister been on this diet, Claire? Um, well, uh, it's not really a diet. It's just or change eating of eating. more mm. uh, healthily, you know, uh, paying more attention to having uh, vegetables and uh, salads and so on. And um, she was uh, on medication uh, in uh, um, uh, 2010, and uh, she managed to come off it in 2011. She is in the UK and regularly goes to uh, get medical checkups. So uh, that is monitored. Oh, that's and yeah. she's that's not gone good. on it again. Well, that's great news. Yeah. No, no that's excellent news. We, we do accept this. Yeah. Well, oh, thank you. Well, thank you, Claire. That's a good, I'm sure it gives people a lot of hope out there. Yeah, hopefully. I think maybe they can speak to their doctor, go and see a dietitian possibly, and, well, if nothing else, get, you know, start eating more healthily. Well, a healthy diet must be an essential mm. component of every yeah. patient with, with hypertension. And, yes, if one can sustain it and, and you're really supervised and your blood pressure normalizes, that's good. That's, that's a very positive outcome. But the, the average person does not sustain it. That's, that's Especially the, not eating just raw I mean, vegetables if you look at, If you look at weeks. diets worldwide, most people lose weight in the first three to six months. By 12 months, they, they're often back to their previous weight. Yeah, it's, and it's a problem with these sort of fad diet things where, you know, it's all great for two weeks. Everything is fabulous. And after two weeks, you think, well, she said, you know, I really feel like a piece of chicken or something. And that's... Yeah, That's it, and then I mean, going to put it all what back the on list, again. What the listener said is very good. That was a healthy lifestyle. Yes, that was the main what point. What we're not advocating is fad diets. Yes, absolutely. The, the healthy diet that advocated by the Heart and Stroke. No, the one which she mentioned about the two for two weeks eating just raw fruit and vegetables. That also, that's not you're not going to be able to no, sustain, that. sustain that. But mm. changing her eating habits, like her sister did, yeah, um, under, under supervision, and she did mention that um, yeah. is the best way to go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you recommend possibly going if you're wanting to try this, go and speak to your doctor, speak to a dietitian, and maybe you maybe you would be no, able no, to even if you don't bring it down completely, you could possibly reduce it even no, a little bit. You could reduce your medication, mm. and also it reduces your cardiac risk as well. Not only does it help your blood pressure, it reduces your cardiac risk, and reduces your chance of getting diabetes in the future because hypertension per se is the risk factor for developing diabetes in the future. So if you can bring your weight down, which is one of the strongest associations with diabetes, that's also really positive for your long-term health. Now, you mentioned cholesterol as well. Do those three normally come as a group of things? In many patients, they come as a group, yes. So you need... Uh, uh, so if you're diagnosed with one, possibly if no one suggests it to you, maybe you should yeah, suggest no, getting the other two checked yeah, as well. Absolutely. When you have your blood pr- if your blood pressure is elevated, it's necessary to have your cholesterol checked and necessary to have to check that you have diabetes because most, a lot of uh, the older onset or type 2 diabetics are asymptomatic, just like hypertension. Their sugar may be elevated. So it's really important that those tests are done kidney functions done and uh, uh, ECG or a heart test is done and so on and a full examination in all, in all patients with And this would be annually again all these things should be checked um, yes most times they should be checked on, on a regular basis all of them not just the high blood pressure yeah I mean you need to get your cholesterol control it needs to be a target your sugar needs to be under control you need to monitor your kidney function and, and monitor your ECG yes so this is the numbers game again 
Yes. Know yes. all the numbers. So we need to know your sugar levels, your cholesterol levels, your blood pressure, what that is. Yeah, it's like a, like a telephone number. Yes, yeah. don't, you don't need to get neurotic <laughs> about it, but you just need to know what it is because yeah. you should also, what, what should the, can you give them some idea of what they should be? We've got the blood pressure. Okay, your blood pressure should be consistently below 140, 90, and some patients less than 130, 80. Your cholesterol, your what's called the LDL cholesterol, definitely must be below 3. Is that the bad stuff? Yeah. And in certain people, below 2.5, and in some people who really had heart attack, below 2, 1.8. Okay. Um, your sugar levels, your fasting sugar must be uh, normal, which is below 6.1. And so above 7.1 consistently, you're diabetic. And, okay. and if between the two, you've, you've, you're borderline. Okay. So Now, the, with the way you mentioned cholesterol, the LDL, there's two. There's the HDL as well. What, and they sometimes combine the two, don't they, yeah, to make that, one? That, that, they do that. I mean, your good cholesterol is HDL. But most people currently are, are focusing on the LDL. I mean, we're not totally certain in the individual patient how much protection there's from HDL. The, the, undoubtedly is, and the ratio does predict, but in the individual patients, it's hard to decide, you know, what to do with HDL because there was a drug that raised HDL, and actually was withdrawn from the market because it it caused it worse uh, worsened outcomes. Oh, really? Yeah. So we we really a bit unsure about how we sh what we should do with HDL. Certainly, exercising brings up your HDL, so regular exercising probably a good thing, a natural way to bring up your HDL. And it certainly has a protective effect, but how we manage it in an individual passion is, is, is very complicated. So each, so the numbers that you've given out now, it's not a standard for everybody. Each person is possibly different. Well, like blood pressure, like 130, mm, yeah. for the high risk, 140, 90. But cholesterol, depending on your underlying risk. So if, if you're a healthy 30-year-old female, you know, you know, you don't need your LDL cholesterol at 1.8. You don't need treatment for it if it's, it's three. Okay, I'm just getting a message here. There was a call here. Something about people generally talk of cholesterol being less than five is good. Is that the general, the, the two numbers together, or what is, uh, that's, what is that? That's a, what's called the total cholesterol. Which yes, is what, a, is, what is that? It's a combination of the HDL and the LDL yes, cholesterol. Yes, that's what I was yeah, asking you. So, it's a, so the total cholesterol can be misleading because it can be made of HDL and LDL. So you can, particularly women, can have a high HDL, and a normal LDL, but your total cholesterol is 5.3. So okay. that's why we focus more on the LDL cholesterol. Okay. So but in general terms, the listener's correct. Uh, cholesterol above, below, total cholesterol below 5.1 is a good thing. Okay, but you're not going to know what is what within that 5.1. No, you need, you need the profile. Okay. You, you can't, you work can't say, well, my cholesterol is lower than 5, but it could be 4.9 of the bad stuff and just point something of the good stuff, you yeah, know. that would be very unusual. Well, yeah, I'm just saying yeah, for, no, for argument's sake, yeah, you know, it absolutely. could be a lot more of the bad stuff. So than you could the good be 5.3 and have an LDL 3.9, which is, is too high, mm. yes, and okay. have a very low HDL. And people who tend to develop diabetes have low HDLs. Have low HDLs. Yeah. Okay, so if your HDL is low, that's the good stuff. Yeah. If and that's, that's low, then you're more sus possibly more susceptible absolutely. to becoming diabetic Ab as well. Yeah, it may be a, a marker, yes. Gosh, it's a, a lot of things we need. I hope, you know, one of the things I hope that the show has done this evening is possibly put this into people's heads, and they're all sitting there now thinking, 
I don't really know what mine is and I'm not going to be feeling any symptoms. Maybe I should pop along and go and get tested. Absolutely. And that's the bottom line of what we've been trying to do this evening. We don't want to scare you all half to death. We just want to make you aware that you will go out there and make sure that you're okay because that's all we're trying to do is to keep you healthy. So if nothing else this evening, hopefully we've given you something to think about and possibly to go and investigate your own health and go and know your numbers as the Heart and Stroke Foundation keep on telling us every year. Well, my thanks once again this evening to Professor Brian Rayner, Head of the Division of Nephrology and Hypertension at UCT and Hurtiskia Hospital. He's also Head of the Hypertension Clinic. Professor Rayner, thank you so much for your time this evening. Thank you very much and thank you to your listeners. And if you have any questions about something you've heard this evening, you can email me on healthmatters at safm.co.za or take a look at the Facebook page, Health Matters on SAFM. And there's also a link there on the Facebook page if you'd like to download a podcast of the show. Well, that's it for Health Matters for this week. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me. And I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after nine with time to travel. But right now, it's time for Stephen Coker with some late night music. <laughs>